0: All right. So Pastor Renee and Ben are snugly in bed as they have to wake up at two something in the morning. Um, So y'all pray for them and for the rest of the team for safety. So what an honor to uh, for them to have that opportunity. It's exciting. Uh, But we're going to continue on here. Who remembers where we are tonight? First Timothy four. That's right. Elani's on it. So we're going to go through actually the whole chapter. Um, I'd like to just read through the text first and then we'll uh, we'll start breaking it down some. So starting off here now, the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. "...who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer." And that will be the first part of our study. "...if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and in of the good doctrine that you have followed." Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For it is to this end we toil and strive, because we have a hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So as we know, Paul, as he's writing this letter here in 1 Timothy to the church, he's dealing with a lot of issues within the church. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've gone through all of the different areas. And in this one here, um, he wants to make them aware of false teachers. Uh, That's who we're going to be, being aware of false teachers um, and what we're going to see is false teachers that come from within the church. You know, there's there's this idea um, so many times that it's very obvious to see, you know, where evil is. It's very obvious to see it coming. Um, you can pick it out. You can point it out. Uh, but the truth is, as we would see what, what he's going to be talking about here, in most cases, it's very deceptive. It's very uh, hard to see sometimes, but God has put some things in place for us. Uh, to be able to recognize it, to be able to meet it uh, ahead of time, and also to be able to combat. And that's where we're going to spend some time here. So I want us to look at the, the first part here of the Scripture, and it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences consciousness are seared. So I want to start there. There's a, a mouthful. Um, as I was going through the study and Rachel's actually really helps me out with my messages. And um, we spent a lot of time right there because it's kind of like it's just a lot of words that don't make a lot of sense. Just when you kind of blabber them out, but we're going to try and break it down and make a little sense of it. But I see a couple of things that he mentions right here. He, it starts off with departing the faith. He said the spirit expressly says that this in latter times, the latter times, as we know, is from Jesus until Early church, where Jesus comes back. You know, we are in latter times now. We also could possibly be in last days, but we don't really know that for sure. But we're definitely in latter times. And he breaks down a couple of things of where the problems come in and where these people end up departing from the faith. He talks about devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. He talks about the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Um, seared is also comes from the word... Uh, cauterized, which also is desensitized, which gets us to a place where we don't we don't have any feeling in that area. It's kind of it's numb to us. Um, and then he goes into some areas that they forbid. Um, but when you look at those areas, there the things that come in and cause these people to depart from the faith, you begin to think, well, why why are they first of all departing from the faith? I mean, if they're if they're believers, if they're of Christ, when that's where some of the questions come in and where the, the the spirit of a man um, is tested in that situation. Um, I, you think of the story of Judas, one of the disciples. He was one of the 12. He was picked. He was, he was part of the team. He served in that ministry uh, for years. And look what he does at the end. Obviously, we know he, he betrays Christ. And you think, how does that happen? How does that happen? And the, the, the truth problem there is, You know, where was he, where was his heart in his relationship with Christ? What was his relationship like? Did he have a relationship, and as we know it was obvious, that was outside of Christ with some sort of outside view of Christ? Or was he in a place where he was under the authority of Christ? Did he see Christ as truly Lord in every area of his life and see God as sovereign and holy? And we know, obviously, that's not the case. And what happens is people that are not, that are outside of that, part of who christ is and seeing him in that way that's the people that end up getting tempted you get you know the sheep and uh excuse me the wolf in sheep's clothes and they don't see it coming um it sounds close enough to the truth that they believe it and then once they get sunk in then there's then that's where the problem begins they get out, outside of god's rule and when it speaks about here about the insincerity of liars whose consciousness or see i think about a couple of things you know is not lying Insincere to begin with, you know it's kind of it's some redundancy there, and it also speaks of that it's just they're hypocritical. They say one thing, they do another. They do one thing, they say another, and they're they're torn between two different things that are going on. Um, and when it ultimately ends up happening, you we all have you know we all have a conscious, um, and I'm you know from from growing up different things. You thought you know like it was bad to eat M&Ms, you know, for example. you think about that but that's you know your consciousness says and then you you know you make your decision whether you want your m&ms or not when we start to think about different things that are you know more spiritual more serious you know whenever we have that check in our spirit you know if christ is the center of that and if we and if we recognize that and we and we turn away from that well then that's that was it served its purpose well but if we're if we're met with those situations time and time again where we hear different false teaching, different types of heresy to take place. Um, what ultimately ends up happening is if we if we just ignore that every time, we ignore that every time, we begin to get calloused in that area. We begin to have that cauterization process that he talks about being seared where all that sensitivity is gone. And before long, it's just what you do. And you find yourself or you see someone that's gotten so far away from who God is and so far outside of truth that they don't even, in some cases, even realize it. There's a level of foolishness that begins to take place, and that's what he's trying to show here: is that it's a it's a process, it's a slow and gradual process. And he, but the good thing is, is Paul's got some things here for us so we don't that doesn't happen, and we're able to recognize it. So my first point here is that the Spirit warns us through Scripture. You now, Paul, in this first part here, he says, "Now the Spirit expressly says." Now, what he's referencing back to um, is a, quite a few different things, but one of them is to the church in Acts, in Acts 20, 28 and 30. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, that's the people that are going to come in, not sparing the flock. But look at the next part. And it says, and from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And he's warning them right there. There's going to be people within the church that are going to get outside of the truth. They're going to begin to feed small little things, twisted speaking, things that don't quite line up with, with God's word. But if you're just, if, you, if you're one, if you're not checking it against God's word, which we'll look at a little bit later, or you're not in that situation where you can see that, guess what happens? In some situations, it slowly becomes truth to people. And that's where he's talking about. Those are those people that end up departing from the faith, because they're where they are in Christ is not where they need to be. They're not. God is not sovereign in their life. On your notes, there you've got about seven or eight more examples of scriptures where we're warned about where people are going to come from, where heresy is going to come from from within the church, and that we need to be mindful of it. You know, as a, I was thinking about this as I was putting it together. I think about you know things that trick us and things that are almost real and i'm a hunter and i got to thinking about decoys you know and how we spend hours and hours of research and how to set them out and where to set them out and i think i've really come to believe in a lot of situations the decoys are more for the hunter than for the animals themselves um, because it makes us feel good when we put them out there Um, that's not completely true um But I think about a decoy, you know, like to take duck decoys, for example, you set them out, you put them in the said pattern that you feel like is what's going to make them come in and land where you are. And, you know, in most cases, well, not here in South Louisiana, we they have figured it out, I think, by the time they get here. But if you use them further north, you know, they look really real. They look like the real thing. You know, there's a little bit of wind that's moving. Everybody's got these ones now that the wings flap, you know, it kind of looks, which I don't quite understand because they never stop flapping, but I guess I guess that's the difference between us and birds. They don't understand that they they shouldn't land at some point. But the idea is, is you know, from a distance or at a glance, all that stuff looks looks real. I mean, obviously, that's why we do it. It works, right? And right about the time they get to the place where they realize this is not real, boom, it's over. In most cases, at least if I'm shooting, and it's too late, right? It's too late. They've then got to the point where this decoy, this thing that appeared to be real, and it's done. It's the same thing for us in our life, you know, not necessarily with the walking away from the faith, but the idea of of sin in our lives. We've got to be mindful. We've got to be careful of what's going on around us. But the good news is, guys, we've got Scripture for us that helps us in that process every time. You know, you don't have to doubt whether you're not because you always have something to test it against. And that's the second part that the spirit expresses what is false through scripture. Now, if you look after starting with verse three, he says, who forbid marriage and require and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So what they were doing there, not only were they, there was some false teaching, but one of the things that they were bringing in was this idea of forbidding marriage. For example, here he speaks about forbidding different types of food that could be eaten. And what they had going on there was a kind of a mix of uh, Greek philosophy, uh, Jewish legalism. It was where some of the start of Gnosticism began. Um, and there was just this idea of that they could, it was just outside of God's word. Um, some of them lean to the side of of legalism in that you know that's where we're talking about the forbidding of um, of different foods and forbidding of marriage and then you had the other side of it where they went to licentiousness where it was just kind of a almost a reckless abandon and a lot of times in in sexuality and I think so many times in our life we see you know that we see both of those things happening um, but as a rule I say as a rule a lot of times I think we legalism for us sometimes is a little bit more easy to swallow than when you see somebody just out there being wild um you know it's like well that's that's bad you know but then when you see somebody on the side of legalism you're like it's kind of like well you know are they are they legalistic you know are they are they you know following christ and they're doing the right things and should i be over here doing this or you know is it right is it wrong you know well i mean yeah god technically says you can't do this but you know, and then there's this back and forth, and the problem with legalism is, is it, it puffs up our pride because it gets us in a place where we say, well, I've done this, or I've followed this, or I've done this, and it makes that person feel um, righteous and holy. And then what they've done is what gets them closer to Christ. And then the same thing over here on the other side where the people are just, just wild, they kind of like just don't care. But the idea is, is the righteousness of God is in the middle of that. We got to be careful to not get to one side or the other. When he speaks about forbidding marriage, you know, as, as we know, in 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five through 35, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but Paul speaks about, you know, being single, right? You know, and he talks about the advantages of being single and how you can devote all of yourself to Christ. But he also states that, you know, marriage is good as well. You know, I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't, you know, actually he says that it's, it's not, I forget how he words it, but um, let's see if it's up here. No, it's not. That's okay. But he says, you know, look, this isn't this isn't God's word, but this is just kind of like my, my good thoughts I'd like to pass on to you, he says, basically. But what they've done, they've taken scripture like that and some other ones and basically put it to where they forbid marriage. Um, because there, there was a belief that matter was good and the spirit, I mean, excuse me, matter was evil, and the spirit was good. So if there was a part of your body, like if you had a desire to be married, then you had to you had to squelch that desire. You had to stop that because that was unholy. So then they just moved all the way over to forbidden marriage, and they do the same thing with abstinence from food. You know, in Matthew 6, 16, through 18, he speaks about fasting, um, and when you should fast, and how you should fast. But he's not saying to just abstain from food in general. I mean, first of all, we... Need to eat, and eat well in South Louisiana. But the idea is, he's not trying to get you to complete and abstain from it completely. Our Old Testament guidelines for food. He, what he's trying to he's trying to tell them there is: in these moments, do these things. But there's another side of the story, and that's where we need to test in Scripture. You know, when you read the first part of Paul's message about marriage, if you stopped right there at the beginning, well, you could go ahead and preach your message about being single. But what happens if everyone is single? You know, we have no procreation. Uh, we have no advancement of the picture that God has given for the church of who the husband and the wife are. None of that's there. Genesis 1, 28 through 30 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds and the heavens and every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything that has breath of life i have given every green plant for food and it was so and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and the morning came in the sixth day and both have to do with being a place to glorify the father with everything you have that's not the verse my notes got mixed up i added unto the scripture i'm sorry I'm uh, supposed to leave a space right there. But the idea is, guys, we also go back to Scripture. We see that that stuff is obviously good. It's obviously designed by God. It's obviously good for us. So always, when it, whenever you see some sort of teaching that's kind of sideways or something that kind of there's a little check in your spirit, I encourage you, get out God's Word and see what it says about it. Check it. If it doesn't quite make sense, call somebody else. Call someone else that's a believer with you and have them give have them read it with you and look at it. Iron sharpens iron. Because we God's given us what we need here to meet heresy and to meet ideas of um, blasphemy and the act of apostasy and all these things that we're seeing going on in this local church. But he's given us his word here so that we don't have to deal with that. And then John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. I mean, he's warned us. It's going to happen. It's there. And it's going to come from within the church in so many situations. But you have what you need to fight against it. You know, a good, a good, a good rule of thumb that I always go off of, if anything that's it's preached or proclaimed that requires you to do something in order to draw closer to God, in order to have a relationship with Christ, um, should send up a red flag for you. Because the idea is the, the, the gift that we have from Christ Grace is a free gift. It's not one we earn. It's not one that we do any certain thing for. So, any time you hear that, you should you should immediately go off in your spirit that there's something that needs to be looked at. There's something that needs to be checked. And his and his scripture and his word always will clear that up for us. Now he's moving on to the next part. He talks about being a good servant um, and what it means to be a good servant. And I think it's pretty interesting how where it falls out in here he's he's just touching on the areas in the church where they're having problems obviously with heresy where they're having different religions come in. And I like that he says, okay, so now we've we've addressed that, here's where we are. Now I want to show you how to be a, a good servant. And the idea is is in being a good servant, in what he's gonna go through here for us, is going to give us the it's gonna give us the the tools and the resources, is gonna set the church up in a place to be able to recognize those things take place, and then when they do see them, how to deal with them, and then how to advance the kingdom of God in the midst of all that, while that and so that doesn't happen in their church. So the first part of it in, uh, verse 6, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. So first point there is we need to be trained in the word and doctrine. We need to be trained in the word and doctrine. Now, trained here, um, in some texts that you may have there, it's it's also called, it's also uh, worded as constant nourishing, Um, trained or constant nourishing, which constant nourishing uh, comes from the Greek word enthriop, E-N-T-H-R-E-O-P. And what it means is to nourish in a person or a thing to educate and to form the mind. So I thought it's interesting that the last part over there about forming the mind, because it says if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained, being the, the forming of your mind in the words of faith. So in that moment, there's a process that takes place in our life. There's a process that's changing in our heart. We know Romans 12:1 and 2 says that we are renewed, by the, or we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The idea of Christ moving in our life, and, he's, and that's what he's trying to meet us there. And he says, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So not just silly myths, but also irreverent. You know, I think so many times in the in our in the Christian church, I think we don't put the emphasis the emphasis on reverence like we should, um, in who God is. You know, I think sometimes it's kind of this casual fist bump kind of relationship. Uh, but the truth is. Just like the song we sing, there is no rival and there is no equal. Um, and we've got to be at a place in that in our walk with Christ and that we see him in that very same way. Because if not, the irreverence comes in. And then we, we fall into these things of silly myths. I think Paul just says it so good in First Corinthians 2, 2. He says, For I have decided to, noth- to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, that's just such a, such a basic sentence. But I mean, when you go through all through scripture with Paul, and I mean, like, he's just amazing. You know, he's, he's okay with dying. He's okay with starving. He's okay with getting beat. He's okay with being whipped. I mean, he's just a superhero, right? And it's because his, his heart and who he is is just so simple. Christ and Christ alone. You know, he also tells us that to follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, that's just a bold statement to be in a place where you can say that. I mean, the idea is that we all can be there, but the idea is that that's where Christ needs us, guys. That's where we need to be. We've got to be able to not get entangled with the things that are going on around us. You know, we, I think about, um, my, my boys, and we've got different songs at different times of our life that we get excited about. And one of them is for King and Countries, I Fix My Eyes. I don't know if you've heard a song. I can sing it for you if you'd like. Um, I don't have any, I don't have any instruments, so will spare you. Um, but, you know, part of the song, said it just, it, it repeats and repeats over and over again that I fix my eyes on Christ. And it also talks about, and they're fighting for the weak ones in um, and, and, and some different areas. But the gist of the song is that we fix our eyes on Christ. And when we do that, all these other things kind of shed off to the side. and it's And it's, you know, it seems so simple, but it really is just that simple. You know, it's Christ and Christ crucified. We just add so much to it sometimes and ultimately we get ourselves in trouble. And then you say, well, how do you do that? You know, how do we maintain um, this being trained in the word and doctrine? Well, it's very simple. It comes through the studying, the reading uh, of God's word, being in church, being being underneath uh, different mentors and different people that can pour into your life and are poured into your life based on scripture, based on what god says so after that he goes and he says he's got the word here rather and he says rather train yourselves for godliness for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come so right there we need to train ourselves in godliness we need to train ourselves in godliness now what's interesting, this train right here where it says rather train yourself comes from the Greek word um, which has an athletic connotation. So it's slightly different than the one we saw before where it was a, a nourishing type where a steady flow of this one is speaking of training in the form of, of athleticism. Um, training obviously is a sacrifice, right? You know, if, you are, if you're an exercise person, you don't get that through osmosis. You don't sit next to a workbench. You don't sit next to the dumbbells. You actually have to do something, right? Um, I don't actually really know that because I don't do any of that. But I have I know Vern, Joe Sclair, Pastor Vern, very well, and he does a good job at it. Um, but the truth is, is it takes sacrifice. But I like what it says right here because it says, rather train yourself for godliness. Trist-. It has some, you know, while bodily training, it's of some value. You know, it has some value. So not... That's, I go off that part of the scripture, some value. But then I like what it says here. It says, but godliness is of value in every way. So when we look at godliness, it has value in every way. Um, and where it takes us from there, it says, for while bodily training is of, of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds, and this is important, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what is that for us? What do we know that as hope, right? That's our hope for a future. And I think about um, our walk as, as Christians and what we and as Christianity and obviously as we saw earlier, Paul says it's Christ and Christ crucified. But the idea is, is the re, you know, as we seek after God, as we as we follow after Him, He provides us with that hope, that hope for a future, that hope for eternal life, and even though even until that place where we meet Him for all of eternity. The hope that that's there. I mean, look at the people around you. Um, as you go throughout your day, you can probably pick out people that do not have any hope. You see it. It's all over them. You know, they don't know. They don't know what's next. They don't know what to hope for. They don't know what to think for. But Christ provides that. 2 Timothy 4 8, 4, 8 says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, command and teach these things. See, in that time, they had a really good understanding of uh, the athletic games, um, of what it meant to compete, and the and the crown. And, then, you know, in that time, they, you got a crown or a wreath that was given to you in a place where you would, you would win. So they really have an understanding for what it means for athleticism and, and what had to go in for those guys to compete in those games. But what he's trying to say is that's, that's of little value compared to godliness. This provides you with a hope. 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's reiterating here this part about athleticism and exercise. But what he's talking about there, I like is the part where he talks about disciplining his body. You know, just as you do, just as you train for games, as you train, as you work out or whatever you do. The same thing goes in our walks as Christians. Guys, we've got to be in god's word we've got to have, be constantly there training and becoming and knowing more about christ you know not out there trying to figure out things that we can do to obtain it <clears throat> but what we can do to know more about him you know right there he also makes a point about preaching to others that i myself should be disqualified you know back to that idea of sound doctrine that we need to have sound doctrine based on god's word and then he says right there at the end he said this saying." is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, wait a second. He's the Savior of all people. What's, um, what's he saying there? What does that mean? Anybody have any ideas? Lonnie? And, I, and, and to add to that, you know, also the, you know, Paul's not, first of all, he's not preaching universalism. He's not preaching there that everybody's, you know, going to be in heaven. So that, that's the idea where we have to have that relationship with Christ. You know, his spirit draws us and we, and we receive him as our savior. But also, I, you know, I think about, you know, it's also kind of called in some ways common grace. You may have heard it called that before, too. Um, but also things like the simple delay of judgment. You know, we're, we're able to live on this earth and enjoy what's here for us. Um, the very fact that we have a level of, um, uh, civilness and with our government, you know, the idea that we do have things in place that are, have some normalcy. Um, uh, just the fact that we, you know, outside of, you know, whether you know Christ or not, that an appreciation for, you know, creation and for beauty and just for the things that go on around you, temporal blessing. And to add to what you said, they're also the, the gospel invitation. The idea that we can be in a place where, you know, we can have that relationship with Christ. So that's what he's speaking about then when he says savior to all people is that he's, he's brought that before us. He's given that as an opportunity. But then he says, especially to those who believe, which takes us to the next point. It says we need to, we need to be an example of godliness. We need to be an example of godliness. Verse 11 says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So he's got this next section here about being, being an example of godliness. And he hits it through in verse 12, and we're going to kind of break down a lot of part there. But I like how he's, I thought it was interesting how it talks about, everybody knows about Timothy and, um, you know, that he was a young Preacher a young teacher in the ministry. But I think I like how it says it says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Well, how can we control someone else by not letting them? I mean, can you force somebody to do that? You know? It says, Let no one. Well, what it, what he's saying is there the, the way that we do that is by this. By but, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith and impurity. And by doing those things. That's how you. that's how that's proved out in your life. Not because you coerce that person or force them to tell you that's who you are, but because you've, you've walked it out and you've lived that example. So let's break down a couple of these things here. It says, and then it talks about um, his youthfulness. I want to touch on that. And the Greek culture in that time really put an emphasis on age and experience. And, I, you know, for, you know, what do we consider youth? Well, they considered... Anyone under 40, um, to kind of be in that crowd. So I'm not going to ask anybody in here who's over 40, but if you're 40 or under, raise your hand. All right. So the idea is, people in that age group, and that's where Timothy was, um, you know, he was, it was, he was not looked upon, um, you know, as someone that had, you know, it could be in the position that he was in. Uh, but the idea is, Paul says, don't worry about that, Timothy. Don't let anyone despise you because of youth. And I'm going, to show you, I'm going to show you what that looks like. So the first thing he talks about is speech. How many, body know, how many people here know speech is a big deal? Anybody have it all figured out? Because I'll just let you, you can come up and do this part for me. You know, speech is, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's very fitting that he mentions it first here um because it's it is it is a big deal you know in james he likens it to the the bridle that's in a horse's mouth he also likens it to the rudder of a ship that something so small can just can direct something so big he also talks about how in our speech you know one side we praise god and the other side we curse god all with this, all with the same mouth and just the just the emphasis On speech and what it means. You know, I think so many times, you know, I, and I find for myself when you get yourself in a, um, in a, in a group of people, uh, particularly for me at work, um, where you don't, you know, maybe not in a a life group or your group of friends that share like-mindedness like you, and there's all kinds of conversations that can potentially come up. Um, and I just think in those moments how important it is as a Christian, first of all, obviously no one to bow out, please, of those situations, but when you are there, The things that you say, um, or don't say in those moments really mean a lot, really go a long way. And you know, I've also, I've often found myself a man, you know, God, when are you going to give me opportunities to tell this person about Jesus? When are you going to give me an opportunity to, you know, to, you know, advance your gospel? Um, and I, you know, and I've been convicted about that over the years that, you know, Matt, when you're in those situations there, there's an opportunity. First of all, in which you say or you don't say, But when you do say, are you saying something that's, you know, because so many times there's something that's said that's wrong, but we really don't, you know, we really kind of leave it up for grabs on whether or not you agree with it or not, right? You know, sometimes you just say very little. But I just think it's so important that we choose our words very wisely in those situations. Um, You know, if we smile at it or we smirk at it. The idea is those things are important, and he's emphasizing here the importance of the speech. And then he also says, in conduct, you know, and I, um, as I was talking with Rachel about this part here, um, I get, I've, I think I'm going to dub it what I call the RC, uh, as Rachel's commentary. And, um, because if, if you, if you don't know, my, my wife is a unbelievable, uh, helpmate to me. I'm sure a lot of you know her. Um, she is truly, truly a virtuous woman and it's just been a blessing for her. Um, a blessing for me in these moments to just uh, her come alongside of me and share some of her thoughts because sometimes she says something that I'm like, you know, I've been, I'm putting that in the message. That's that's good stuff. Um, so she is uh, she is amazing. That wasn't in my notes. but I just added that in. Um, but the idea of conduct, you know, because so many times going back to speech, it, you know, sometimes it's hard for someone to tell whether or not you're a Christian in certain situations, but it's usually very easy for them to tell if you're not. Or if what you've done doesn't line up with godly principles or things that should be, you know, that they should be following after. So your conduct is so important. When you look at, um, in, in 2 Timothy and Titus, he has some, uh, some exhortations that he does to, to the young men and to the young women. And I think what's interesting is when he speaks to the young men, he tells them, it's just quite simple. He says, be self-controlled. You know, to the ladies, he gives them this big list of things they do, you know, and things that they got, you know, how to, you know, to do and to handle themselves. But so when he gets to the young men, just being, just control yourself, okay? That's, just keep it simple. That's what I need you to do. And so much of that goes back to conduct and to our speech, that we just need to step back and just look at the situation. And then he says love, which we know as is one of the greatest commandments. We're also know that Christ says that they will know us, by our love right those are those are things that that's the mark of us when we're out there in the world trying to reach the loss and it allows us to reach the loss because we are in a place where we can have compassion on one another you know i I, we as we pray every morning before we leave for work or for school and so one thing that i always ask is that as i come across people in my life as my children as my wife come across that we see people the way christ sees them that we see him with that same compassion and that same love. Because I think so many times it's so easy. We see somebody and we instantly go to some level of stereotype. We instantly go to some level of, of feeling, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But if we can get in a place where we can love and where we can see people the way Christ sees them, it's in those moments that we begin to advance the gospel of Christ. The people see that. They notice that in your life. It becomes evident. And, they, and they're like, you know what? That's the person that I feel comfortable talking to. That's the person I feel like I can share this with. That's the person that I can ask for prayer. And it's in those moments that God's gospel goes forth. And it's in that lives are changed. Families are healed. Restoration takes place all because we did one simple thing. We loved. We met him in that situation with love. And the next thing he talks about is faith. And faith. You know... In order for us to have faith in something, means we have to have full trust in it. You believe it's going to happen. You believe it's going to take place. In order for that to happen in our walks with Christ, church, God has got to be sovereign in your life. He's got to be in that place where he has no rival and he has no equal. And it's just that simple. And it just goes back to what what Paul says about being Christ and Christ crucified. And that's it, and that's all he wants to deal with, and that's all he wants to focus on. I like I think in, in Job thirty eight four, it's just said so well. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Man, that's that's profound. You know, in that moment, you know, obviously we know the story of Job and what took place, and he's and you know, he's he's questioning things that are going on, and he's you know, he's just toiling all over it, and God says where were you when I created all this? you know, and the idea is you don't you're not on my level. you're not God. you are not going to understand things you are, some things are not going to make sense, and it 's just okay it's just okay church I mean i 'm not saying aimlessly, walk around with no direction and having no understanding for scripture, but the idea is if we get to this place in our life where well, we feel like we have to understand every truth that God put out there, we have to understand everything that he does, what do we, what do we need a God for? What do we need a Savior for? Guys, it's just that simple. We've got to line ourselves up underneath the authority of God and who he is and trust and believe that in that, you know, the things are going to work out around you because, guys, ultimately, what's our call? What's our call to advance the gospel, to go out and make disciples of all men? You know, that there just might be a level of suffering involved in some of that. Yeah, do we have blessing? Of course we do. Of course we do. But we've got to be in a place where God is holy and where we're in a place where we fully trust and we have faith. If you have faith, that's what it means. And then he follows up and ends it up with purity. Purity. I think about purity in our speech, purity in our actions, um, purity in the way we dress purity in the way we think, you know, as we all know, first of all, I mean, the, the, the thing I think about obviously first is in mostly is sexual purity because it is such a big deal. Um, you know, we've, we've been doing for the last, this will be our third year of doing, maybe even be fourth year, doing the conquer series here at church for our men. You know, when Pastor Renee brought that study to me years ago, uh, he didn't know a whole lot about it. And we started doing it. We had, you know, the first time we did the study, we had 80 something men, You know, I'm thinking, well, we're going to do it again because it's good. But, I mean, maybe we've gotten most of the church, right? Next time we did it, we got about the same amount of people participate. We did it again, the same amount of people participate. And the idea is is this is a big problem um, in the Christian church. You know, statistics tell us that over 70% of men inside the church deal with some level of sexual impurity. Uh, Women, it's like in the 30, 40 percentile and actually growing. Uh, pastors and leaders in some cases as high as 50 percent you know so this is why this is so important what he's telling me here the importance of purity the importance of what that looks like in our life and what we've got to do we have to remain pure and then fourth we need to be faithful to the local church in verse 13 he says until i come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and to teaching now he's got three things going on there, and why I say be faithful to the local church is because it's in the local church, it's in that body of believers that this takes place. Um, it looks like different situations for different people, um, but the idea is we've got to be in a place where this is happening. First thing he talks about is the public reading of Scripture. Um, in Jesus' time, as you know, there's a story where he goes into the synagogue and, he, and he, read, he opens up the scrolls and he reads that portion, then he sits there and he teaches about it. So what he's talking about there, when we talk about the public reading of Scripture, it's not just the reading of it, but it's the reading of it and then the exposition of the Scripture. That as we read it, as we, as we dwell on it, then we learn about it and we teach it. Those two things need to go hand in hand. And exposition is a comprehensive description and explanation of an idea or theory. For example, what we do on Wednesday nights is an example of exposition of Scripture. We present, we present a level of Scripture in m- most messages. That's typically what takes place is the Scripture is put out there, and then we talk about it. But the importance is is a public reading of Scripture and then also the exposition of it. And then he says to exhortation. Exhortation is a, is basically challenging the hearer of applying what you've learned in that situation to your life, um, encouraging you in that situation, being in a place where you can apply that, that God's Word... Despite, despite however old it is, still applies to us in our life. It still applies to where we are and the things that we're doing. And then he says to teaching, which is just a steady, intentional instructing. Um, as we saw in uh, the earlier chapters, it's one of the qualifications for overseers, that they're able to teach and they're able to sit there and break down Scripture. And it's inside the local church that those things happen. We get it on Sundays. We get it on Wednesdays. Um, coming up here in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing Sunday morning classes. You know, the women are in the middle of a Bible study right now. We have plenty of opportunities uh, to be involved in this, where the where the gospel message is going forth, where we can learn more about Christ and more of what's going on. Because what's important is, remember, this goes back to the beginning, that if we begin to test things in our lives against Scripture, and, and we, as we know more about it, those things are, don't become a concern for us. Acts twenty twenty seven says... For I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. From Genesis to Revelation, every part of God's word is good and has a place for us. You know, and every part of it needs to be touched on. And every part of it can be applied in our lives. And then my last point, five, it says we need to use our gifting. He says, and he says in verse 14, he says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, and persist in this, for by doing so you will, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I ask you the question, what is your gifting? Romans twelve three through 8 says, For by grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. And here we go in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity and the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see a list there of different giftings we have as believers, different giftings that we bring to the table that we're all part of this body and we all make up this whole. Um, You know, some of you may know exactly exactly where your gifting is. You've maybe been doing it for a long time. God's really used you in those areas. And some of you are here thinking, I don't have a clue. I don't think I have one. Well, you do. Um, And... You just don't realize it yet. And, you know, for me, some practical advice is in order to, you know, begin to see that what God has for you outside of being in his word and, and learning and teaching is serve. You're a part of the local church. There's lots of things that can be done around here, lots of things that people need help with. And you think, well, yeah, but I don't. what if, what if that's not my gift? And, well, you know, it's okay. They still need help. And being of service and being a servant in that situation, um, a lot of times is going to allow your your personality as you work around people for God to begin to reveal that gifting that you have in your life. You know, just like he said there that, that the elders prophesied on Timothy. You know, people noticed the calling that was on Timothy's life, you know, and, and brought that out to him and made, no, and made notice of it. So, guys, as you're in the local church, as you are part of this body of believers, you begin to work with one another. And if people are going to, you know, you know, man, you're you're pretty good with, you know, teaching that part that he was talking about. Or you're pretty good with this. And then you'll begin to see it yourself as God develops that in you. Now, I do have to caution you. You know, please do not recklessly serve in the church. Okay? Please do not consume your life and every day and every night um, with being here or doing something. Because guess what happens? If you have a family, first of all, you're probably going to ruin it, okay? Um, you know, I, I think about my own life. You know, as I came out of out of uh, youth group here and youth ministry, you know, I was obviously single. And I'm fairly certain five, six, maybe seven days out of the week, I was doing something with church, okay? But I was single. It wasn't, you know, what else was there to do, right? We were going to hang out somewhere, just soon be there. And then I got married. I got a job, you know finished up school, and I found myself in a place of just being a bit overwhelmed with six to seven days of, um, you know, hanging out at church, and I needed a job, so I had to maintain that, which was important, and then I had a wife now. Um, so we found ourselves in a place of where I, we did kind of back back down out of some different areas. Now, we didn't, we didn't quit church. You know, God was still God in my life, uh, but it was a time whenever we just needed to we need to have some wisdom in that and not, and not get burnt out because we see it so many times in church where people just, you know, and, and I think unfortunately sometimes that goes back to this idea that the more I do, the better I am. The more I do, the more spiritual that is. And we have to be careful there that we don't do that, that we have some, some restraint and let God be the one that fills you with that. And then as you grow, this, this gifting becomes evident and you begin to see the areas that God wants to use you. I love how he, I love how he ends it right here. And he says, practice these things and immerse yourself in them. So what he's saying is, you know, you're going to have to practice to get better at these things. You know, once you recognize your gifting, then put it to work, begin to use it, begin to look for opportunities for it and get better at it. He says, immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching I think what's important there is that idea of keeping a close watch on yourself and teaching is it goes back to the, what he brings about in the first part of the book, that if we're not careful to what's going on, if we don't pay attention to the details of things that are being said, the, the doctrine that's being put before you, if we're not paying attention to that and we're not checking it against God's word, then it's very easy for us to go astray and for us to miss the mark. We've got to pay attention to what's going on in the teaching. And it says persist and this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And these, you know, he's talking to Timothy there as a preacher to church because the importance of, of uh, pastors and the importance of leaders sending out sound doctrine and that the responsibility that person has to be a student of the word and also put it forth. And does that does not mean he's not going to have error, obviously, but the idea is there's a constant, steady doctrine they goes forth and he wants timothy to pay close attention to that then closing what i want you, i want to leave you with a few things and another thing i want to i was thinking about as i was going through this and really with any message is you know i just for myself for you as you as you walk out of any service as if you walk away from a situation when the gospel was advanced when god's word was preached when god's word was said before you you know i just believe that that should leave with you heavy on your heart I think you should allow God to work and allow that Scripture and allow that teaching to soak in and then go home, get into it, look at it for yourself, compare it to things you've seen before and look at it and allow God's Word to just work and to mold in your life. You know, just the importance of the advancement of the gospel message, the salvation of souls that happens through that process, the discipleship of believers um, as we move through that, and then just the sheer honor that we are able to have a part in this process is just mind blowing the idea that god has allowed us to take part in this amazing amazing process so guys as we walk out of here just you know just have a a desire and a love for just getting into his word for letting it just be in your heart for being a check in every area of your life Lord, just, we just thank you for this time, and I thank you for this church. God, I just thank you, God, for just a body of believers, Father. God, that's out here with a desire to grow and to live in you. And God, I pray, Father, that as we do leave this service, God, that, you, that your word, Father, is upon our hearts. It's in a place, Father, where it allows us to be honest with ourselves, in a place where we can check areas of our life. God, and for one reason, Father, that your name, God, would be glorified, that your gospel father would be advanced god we are so thankful god the body of the opportunity to be a part of it god in jesus mighty name father i pray we leave here differently than the way we came in and give us protection and safety as we travel from here god in jesus mighty name amen